This is Joey Brandon. Welcome to the Axiom Podcast, episode 21. Welcome to another edition of the Axiom Podcast. It's been a while. I'm your host, Joey Brandon, and today we're going to be bringing you back up to speed on what's been happening over the last two to three months. It's been about that long since we produced our last podcast. And so there's been a lot of stuff happening. And it's the time it's the time of year, even though we're almost into February, we'll be into February by the time this podcast is released. But January, late December, January into early February is that time when we do a lot of planning with clients and it's when I do a lot of planning personally and kind of setting the tone for what's going to be coming up over the next year in business and what my personal goals are. That's all, that all happens around this time of year, uh, like I said, both for me and for clients. So I wanted to, to kind of get the ball rolling again, start with that and just give you a sense of, of where we've been and where we're going and what's going to be happening with the podcast and uh, all that good stuff. So I think our last podcast was sometime in November, maybe early November, first week of November. And um, and then we, we went into kind of a, a extended hiatus while we took care of some stuff. So the stuff that's been happening has been really good, but it's given me a whole new level of appreciation for these guys that produce podcasts week in, week out, uh, because especially as small business owners and a lot of a lot of them that I respect and keep up with, um, they are small business owners. Um, you know, they, they don't have day jobs that they can just turn off at five o'clock and come home and podcast. They've got all kinds of balls in the air and things demanding their attention. They manage to do it. And so I've come to understand how difficult that is and how challenging it is, but also how much you miss it when it's not there. I mean, I've, I've missed doing the podcast over the last two to three months, uh, because that content creation is is a lot of fun for me. Uh, it's something that allows me to take the things that I'm seeing every day in my practice and that I'm working through with clients and just get those out to a broader audience. So I always enjoy that when it's not there. I miss it. But that's really what happened. You know, the, the first thing that kind of happened over the fourth quarter of last year is we, our business grew considerably. We took on several new clients uh, in August, September, October. Um, we started onboarding those clients, and by November, we were fully engaged and and really just kind of going, I don't want to say 24-7, but some of these clients we were working with three, four, five times a week, and it really kind of played havoc with my schedule. So I learned a little bit about my capacity to onboard clients and and how to pace that, um, because we ha- we took on more at one time than we had previously. So that was, you know, that was one part of it. The other part of it, you know, a lot of you know that we're expecting our third child here in the next, oh, probably seven to eight weeks. So Josie and I have been, you know, getting ready for that. And as you can imagine, there's a, there's a lot to, that goes on in terms of supporting your wife while she's going through this big deal, um, it is our third trip around the block, but it's been a while. It's been, you know, it's been seven years since we had our last child. So there's a lot of stuff going on 
um, just with our schedules and doctor's appointments and me trying to help out more around the house and with the boys' schooling and that kind of stuff. And so that certainly factors into the demands on time and being able to get stuff done. And then uh, a really good thing that's happened in the last uh, month or so is, you know, my dad, after about 40 years in the business, uh, decided to sell his uh, tax and accounting practice. Um, and he's not too far away, he's a couple hours away. And so I've been helping him with that. And so that's taken some of the time off the table that I would normally use for podcasting and writing and that kind of stuff. And then we took on more new clients. So, you know, just when we thought things were going to let up coming into the first quarter of 2014, we added some clients in January that we had kind of been holding off and saying, hey, let us, you know, we know that you want us to come in and work with you. Um, and you've, you, you may, some of them had already signed uh, pricing agreements and that kind of thing, but we had held off their kickoff until after the first of the year so we could work through the fourth quarter planning with some of those earlier clients and our existing client base. So in January, we onboarded a couple other clients um, and we've kind of worked them through the process and we're starting to get into more of our regular routine and our regular process with them. And then what else has been happening? Um, my good friend, Jason Blommer up in Greenville, South Carolina that started Thrival, uh, he and I are collaborating on the Thrival Incubator, something that we're launching this next month, uh, we'll be starting the application process for our first class. You can find out more about that. I'll put the link in the show notes. Uh, but we're really excited about the Thrival Incubator and the first class that will be coming in probably in June or July of this year. And what that's going to mean for changing the profession of public accounting. A lot of you know that uh, I sold my tax and accounting firm back in 2012 so that I could do full-time strategic planning and coaching with clients. And... Um, but I'm still a CPA, and I, and I still have roots in that profession, and I have some pretty strong feelings about where I think CPAs ought to spend their time and how they ought to serve their clients and how they can change the perception of CPAs and the value that CPAs bring to clients in the public accounting profession. And, um, and so, I, you know, Jason and I have shared those views over the years of our, our friendship and our professional collaboration. And that's all kind of culminating this year into the launch of the Thrival Incubator. And we're super excited about, about our vision for using that as a tool to change the profession and what it'll mean for a whole new generation of CPAs, either coming out of school or coming out of practices, um, maybe to start their own, their own businesses. So that's what's been going on. And what that's meant for me, and one of the challenging things for me this year that I've never experienced before, uh, this is a brand new experience for me, is, you know, I, I get to do strategic planning for clients. And the, the way that I came into that was, you know, I didn't, I didn't go to a class or a workshop that taught me how to do strategic planning. Um, I'm actually creating something like that now because it didn't exist when I wanted to learn it, and I want to teach other CPAs how to do that. So that's one of the things that I'm, I'm working on as a, another side project. But I didn't have that when I started. So I learned basically how to do this by fumbling through it and you know reading lots of resources and going out and trying stuff with clients and, and um, you know, getting educated through the process of helping them do strategic planning that would actually work in their business because a lot of the stuff that, you know, I'd read stuff in books and a lot of the books were, were written by consultants who were 
working with, you know, Fortune 100 companies, and I'm not working with Fortune 100 companies. I'm not working with, you know, two, three billion dollar companies. I'm working with maybe two, three million dollar companies. And, and so the principles might be the same, but in practice, they don't get applied the same. So that's been kind of a, that's, that's my own kind of personal professional journey of learning how to do this stuff. And it, and it was so much fun and it was so rewarding that I decided, well, I don't want to do all this other tax and accounting stuff. This is really where my heart is at is in business operations and business planning and coaching clients through plans and seeing the results come out in the financial statements, not just looking at the financial statements after everything's already happened and going, oh, yep, you made this much money or this is what your tax bill is going to be. And as I learned how to do that over the years, I, you know, I would start applying the same things in my own business. So, uh, and a lot of times I'm trying this stuff out on me and my team before I would even take it out to a client. So I've always gotten a lot of uh, it, it's always been fun for me. It's been a very enjoyable thing for me to sit down at the end of a year and work on not only my personal goals for the next year, but also professionally what the strategic plan is going to look like for my business and what we're going to try to accomplish over the next year, whether we're going to change strategies that we've been pursuing for you know, this three- to five-year time horizon or whether we're going to stick with the same strategies and what are our goals going to be in relation to those strategies and what are the priorities going to be that we focus our projects on for a quarter and who's going to do what. And that stuff is very invigorating for me. You can imagine if I get excited doing that for stuff for clients, how much more excited I get doing it for myself. But the thing that happened this year that's never happened to me before is I didn't have time to do that. We got so wrapped up in the fourth quarter planning for a lot of these new clients that we just, I didn't, I I had scheduled some time to do that. And I usually take quite a bit of time, several days between Christmas and New Year's, where I basically just say, I'm going to clear my calendar of appointments and I'm not going to make any outside commitments. I'm just going to lock myself away in my office and I'm going to spend hours and hours and hours hammering this stuff out and really thinking about what it is we're going to try to accomplish and and what we did accomplish and didn't accomplish last year and getting those plans ready. And this year, a combination of the timing of the holidays where we had both, hol- you know, the Christmas and New Year's always happen exactly one week apart, and they were right in the middle of the week this year. And so that kind of threw things off because some clients were working and some clients weren't. And some clients wanted to do planning one of those weeks and some clients were already closed. And we didn't get kind of that blank slate of not having outside commitments for a week that we usually get. And then we had, you know, family commitments and all that other stuff. And I, I got to this point where, you know, well, we just didn't get it done. And so, like, the week after, I'm like, well, I, I need to sit down and do that. And so I scheduled some time, and I, I, and I actually I got the time, and I worked on it, and I, didn't, I wasn't getting very far. And so I, I scheduled more time the next week and more time the next week. <laughs> and I just I wasn't getting anywhere. And I was, I was trying to figure out whether this was just a timing issue of, you know, I wasn't setting aside the right amount of time, uh, or I wasn't being focused in the time that I was setting aside, or whether it was something else. And ultimately, it turned out to be something else, where I just wasn't sure. I, I, what, I've, what I discovered was that it was kind of at, um, 
a point in the business where I needed to make another big decision, another big strategic decision. And so part of the reason I wasn't being successful is because I just didn't really have any peace internally about pushing forward with a plan that strategically I felt was flawed. And so um, I did what I tell my clients to do. I hired some outside help to come in and help me look at this stuff. And a good friend of mine, Doug Paul, uh, who has his own business doing coaching and helping business owners uh, work through issues just like I do. Um, so I brought Doug in, and Doug has been helping me work through that, and we're still working through it. And it's very, very exciting because I'm starting to get some answers to some of the things that, you know, when, when we haven't been able to accomplish some things that I thought we would be able to, uh, Doug and I, as we dig through what's been happening and and what the market looks like and what and this is Doug's great specialty. I'll put a, a link to Doug's um website in the show notes. But Doug uses a, a set of tools. Um the the main one is called a leading dimensions profile where he kind of looks at what your your makeup is and it it can be likened to th- things like a disc assessment um or Myers Briggs or some of those other things and they have reasons why you know, their tool is the bigger, better mousetrap. Uh, and Doug could go through that. Maybe I'll get him on and, and we can talk about that sometime. But um, the end result is, you know, when Doug, I, ha- I have taken Doug's assessments before and we've talked through them. And so he pulled out my old assessments and he ran them through some new kind of filters uh, that looked at where my abilities were at in terms of growing teams and where my abilities were at in terms of entrepreneurship and those types of things. And as we started to look at what you know my personal gifts are and where my strengths are, it became very apparent, hey, you know, if, you ta- if this is the strategy that you're going to pursue to grow this business, you're going to be very frustrated. And, uh, and Maybe there is a, maybe this other strategy that you've been considering is is not go, is not the frustrating route. Maybe that that's the fulfilling route. So all of that is happening right now, and we're in the midst of crafting the new strategic plan or the revised strategic plan, I guess, for Axiom for probably fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, and that's very exciting for me. So I'm, I'm you know, it's it's been we finished the year with a bang, bringing in all these new clients, and we kind of set ourselves up for a lot of success in 2015 just serving these clients because you know the, the clients that we brought in in the fourth quarter of last year will be with us for the entire year this year and we've also got all the existing client relationships that are going to be with us this rest of the year so it's going to be a fun year working with new businesses and old businesses and seeing them grow and learning about the new ones and the problems that they face and the issues we have to help them overcome um, and we've still got, we're still doing business development. Like we, st- I've got two new um, prospects who want to talk to us about coming out and doing work for them, and I got to get back to them today. So it's been, um, it's been a lot of fun uh, building the business over this past year. We're seeing that growth continue into 2015, and then it's really super exciting for me to think, hey, you know, some of the things that we're going to change the way that we do things, we're going to we're going to make a shift strategically in the business. And that could result in things that are even more fulfilling for me. So I'm really excited uh, about the direction that my personal business is going. Um, and I'm excited to get back into the podcasting and the content creation now that a lot of this stuff is behind us. And we've 
We've kind of onboarded the big clients that we're going to onboard for the next quarter. We may take a few more this year, uh, but we're going to do that selectively. And um, and I also have to say, you know, one of the best decisions I made last year, looking back, um, was to bring in some help for me personally. So I've had you know, contractors and, and people who've helped me on a project by project basis as either the projects got big enough or the skill sets were in areas where I felt like, well, I don't need to be involved in that. That's something I can I can hire somebody else to help me do and they're they're better at it or they've got more time to do it or it's more appropriate for the client. Like they can save money by paying somebody a lower rate to do this kind of stuff. And so I you know, I believe that you know we should be doing that as much as possible. But the one thing that I hadn't done is say, you know, I'm going to bring somebody in who's just for me, somebody whose sole focus and purpose is to make Joey more effective out there, whether it's with clients, whether it's um, working on his podcast, whether it's carving out time for writing, you know, whatever that might be. And so in it was about this time last year that I resolved I was going to bring somebody like that in. And so I reached out to a company called EA Help out of Atlanta, and I'd heard about them through Michael Hyatt's podcast and a couple of other places. I'm not sure that, but they had come up. Their name had come up a, a few different times, and um, I thought, you know, I'm going to reach out to these folks. And I can't tell you how impressed I have been, not just with the the person that they got me. I'll talk about that in a second, but just the process that they walk you through. I mean, I learned a tremendous amount about my, um, you know, my capacity to delegate things and what my workflow looked like just because they were forcing me to answer questions before they even started to go out there and try to recruit who my assistant was going to be. They were saying, well, what are the things that you delegate and how often are you going to delegate them? And how often are you going to need to talk about them? Is this a daily thing, a weekly thing, a monthly thing, a quarterly thing? And by the time, by the time I went through their process, I was already starting to see that this was a trigger I should have pulled maybe a year or 18 months before that because I really started to understand how much of what I was doing on a daily, weekly, monthly basis I shouldn't be doing. I should be handing that stuff off to somebody. And I'm as guilty as anybody at looking at the money I would have to spend to get that outside help and going, oh, well, I'll just do it myself. But I can tell you, I mean, we've, we probably have had, I, I don't know that all of the growth we had last year was a result of bringing in somebody to help me with that stuff, but I would say probably easily anywhere between 50 and a hundred thousand dollars worth of last year's growth can be attributed to bringing this person in and just freeing me up to go out there and take on the additional work because of the stuff they were taking off my plate. So in that sense, it's definitely the best investment I made in this past year. Um, and it's not cheap, you know, what you get what you pay for. So, um, EA help, you know, shout out to them because their process, their onboard onboarding process is excellent. Their quality assurance process is also excellent. I got phone calls um, a week after we started, two weeks after we started, thirty days. Um, they've called several times since then, 
um, just to check in and see how things are going. They want to make sure that you're successful. They want to make sure that the person that they've paired you up with is successful and that things are working out for both of you. And it's, it's done nothing but assure me that I made the right decision. So, uh, guys at EA help, thank you so much. Um, and so they, they paired me up with Carrie and Carrie lives, uh, in another state even. It's funny because a lot of clients that I work with here locally will say, okay, you know, well, when are we going to get to meet Carrie? Because we talk to her on the phone all the time. And it's funny because I'll, I'll say, well, you know, she's not here. She's in Mississippi. And they go, are you kidding me? How does that work? And if you've never, if you're considering the idea of a virtual assistant, a couple things I'll tell you uh, that I've learned from my experience is I've heard lots of people say, well, I tried that with the overseas thing and it just never worked out. And I have some experience with that from a highly technical side. We, we did some outsourcing of tax returns several years ago and they're, they were all in India. And so, um, fairly simple tax returns. We would batch all the documents, scan them in, and then we'd dial into our system. They pull those documents and they would key the tax return for us. And it, it worked pretty well because you would put the stuff in and, you know, flag it as you went home that night. And, and a lot of times the next morning or midway through the next morning, the stuff would be done and show up in your inbox. And people tout that time differential as a big advantage. And I think if you're just talking about technical stuff, so if, you, if you're talking about bookkeeping or you're talking about um, maybe simple graphic design work or coding, programming, that kind of stuff <clears throat> that's highly technical in nature, yeah, that might be fine. But what I was looking for was somebody who was going to be able to work with me personally on becoming more effective. And I don't see how that relationship can ever really work well if it's overseas, specifically because of the time zone thing. So what I was looking for was somebody who could step into my shoes on a very regular basis and interact with clients for me or on my behalf. And you can't do that if the time zones don't match up. So uh, Carrie is one hour different. She's central time. I'm Eastern. And at first, you know, we had to navigate that until we both got used to it. And now it's not even an issue. I don't even think about it. And it's probably because she does all of the, the lifting as far as making sure that, that times match up and things. Um, so I don't have to worry about that anymore. She probably worries about it a lot more than I do, but it's not something that that I ever even consider now. So was that Central or Eastern? She just kind of makes it happen and makes it show up on my calendar where it's supposed to. Um, the other thing that that um, is really interesting about hiring a virtual assistant is when you get down to the types of things like – Oh, I notice this in my clients. So when you have people who work for you, um, there is a tendency toward poor management. <laughs> and I don't know if it's like it's like the law of entropy. So you know, like the law of entropy. I, I think I'm, I'm not a physicist, and I'm sure people will correct me on this. But it, it's like the the chaos in a system will always increase. It will never decrease. Like things will not become more orderly on their own. And it's the same thing with like management styles. Like management will not just get better on its own. The tendency is that you hire people to work for you, and then you don't proactively manage what those people are working on. You just kind of walk around, and as things strike you, you start handing them out. And so you'll see people, you know, I'll see business owners, and they're like, um, we'll be in a meeting, 
and be like, well, we don't have, it would be nice if we had the information presented this way. Like we, we need, we need to see, um, how our routes are being done by zip code. Oh, we can't get that out of the system right now. So they'll walk over to somebody's desk and like, I need you to figure out how to get routes by zip code. And, and can you get that to me this afternoon? And I think to myself, I'm like, well, I don't know what else that person had planned to work on that day, but the chances are they didn't just come into work and sit down and wait for the boss to walk by their desk and give them something to do. Like they actually had an agenda for the day. They had a, a list of priorities and a list of things that they wanted to accomplish and get to. And the boss just came by and, and completely jumbled that up and, and inserted. And the boss never asked, hey, is this, you know, here's what I need. What else are you working on? Let me help you determine what the best priority is. That I don't hear those conversations very often at all. Sometimes I do hear people push back and say, well, I have this, this, and this other thing to do. Where does that fit in the priority stack? Um, and I love to hear that. And, and that us that's usually because there has been a proactive conversation ahead of time about the boss dumping things onto people's plates and it messing up their priorities. And the bosses said, well, you know, feel free anytime to push back on me and just say, hey, you know, where should this be in my priority set? But I'd say that's the exception rather than the rule. So when you come out of environments like that where the somebody is just used to picking up the phone and saying, I need this, rush it right over, or stop what you're doing and work on this, those people look at the virtual assistant and they go, I don't see how that could ever work. How could, a per how could you work with somebody who's hundreds or thousands of miles away and be effective. And perhaps, you know, I, I think maybe I had an advantage because when I sold the tax and accounting firm back in 2012, uh, before I sold it, I, I did have that ability. Like I had an office where I could walk, you know, a hallway I could walk down and stick my head in somebody's office and say, hey, I need you to do this or hey, I need you to do that. And I was guilty of the same things I just talked about. Like I didn't know what was on their priority list. I didn't know if I was totally torpedoing their day and their you know, productivity for the day or their efficiency for the day, you know, I just knew that somebody had just asked me for this thing and I wanted to get it. I wanted to get the monkey off my back and onto somebody else's back as quickly as possible. So I could get back to having my day be effective. Meanwhile, my team, you know, I might be making my team very ineffective. So when I sold the tax and accounting practice, all those offices went away. Like I didn't have a hallway to walk down anymore and to go, you know, load monkeys off my back onto somebody else's back. So I had, uh, you know, I basically had to put all this stuff back on my own plate. And I did that for about a year uh, before I went out to EA Help and, and had them help, you know, come in and help find somebody to, to take that stuff off my plate. But during that year, what I had to do was when people would give me those things, when I would be talking to a client and they'd say you know, something to the effect of, we need routes by zip code, can you help us with that? I'd have to say, okay, let me put that on my list. And so that would go into kind of a triaged to-do list of things that I had to get done. And then I would have to look at my list at the beginning of a week or the end of a week or beginning of a day or end of a day and go, okay, so with the time I have coming up, 
you know, which of these pri- which of these things deserve priority and how am I going to get them done? So I was already accustomed to working off a list. And so when Carrie came in for EA Help, it was simply a matter of me looking at my list and handing it off to her. And because they were on a list for me already, it's not like they were going to get done that second. I had already kind of come to the, the point in my own mind where I knew, okay, these things have to get done, but they're not all going to get done at once. And so when I handed it to Carrie, it was the same thing. Well, these things are all going to get done, but they're not going to get done at once. Carrie's going to have to work through them. And so for me, moving over to a virtual assistant, because I didn't have to break myself of the habit of just picking up the phone and going, do this now, and then, and then waiting for, you know, so that thing will get done, and then the person just sitting there waiting for the next thing that I'm going to throw at them. Um, it was pretty seamless for us to move the process over because it just went from my list to Carrie's list and then she would work through it. And then as time went on, we developed routines and processes where there were certain things that needed to get done, say, every week. And she just worked out the system to do those and, and they get done every week and I don't have to worry about it because Carrie's very good at what she does. Um, and then she would also look at some of the stuff that I was doing and say, hey, you know, I see that you're doing this every week. Why don't I do that? Because if it's something that is just getting repeated over and over and over again, it's a process. We can draw it up as a process. You can hand it off, and and it'll be off your plate. And so she's she's constantly, you know, looking at how to make me more effective. And it's gotten to the point now where one of our challenges for this next year is possibly, uh, well, not possibly. It's going to happen as the business grows. Bringing in a second person that can take stuff off of Carrie's plate so she can continue to pull stuff off of my plate and and just kind of perpetuating that process of delegating stuff over and when you when that's the type of system that you work under where there you have a list and it's not just you know Stephen Covey talks about the four quadrants and I was talking to a client about this the other day and and it reminds me of the situation where you know, I think quadrant two is where Covey wants you to spend all of your time, which is the important but not urgent stuff. So things like planning, things like building client relationships, those are all important, but they're not urgent. Like they don't have to get done today. And because they're not urgent, they tend to be the things that we put off and the things that don't get done. Instead, we focus all of our time on the important and the urgent. And that's what competes with our attention. So if a, if a manager or a business owner is spending all of their time on the important and the urgent stuff, then it's hard for them to wrap their head around the idea of using a virtual assistant because it's urgent. Like it has to get done right now. And the virtual assistant isn't in an office where I can go walk in there and say, I need you to do this right now. And the virtual assistant may not be at a phone where you can even call and say, I need this done right now. So like, you know, I don't know what Carrie's work hours are. I, I know that and she's available a lot of times. I don't expect her to be. It seems like she's always available <laughs> You know, to her credit. You know, I never have to wait for very long for stuff. She's incredibly responsive. But I also know that there are times when she's doing stuff with her family or she has responsibilities at home that are going to keep her from being able to do things you know, right away. And so, and, and that's fine because we've kind of built this habit of she gets the, um, she gets the important stuff 
but she gets it before it's urgent. And I, I guess that's the big shift. It's like if you're getting, if you're always working on things that are important and urgent, you, there was probably a time, an earlier time when you had those things to work on, but they weren't urgent. They were important, but they weren't urgent yet. And they got put off and they got put off and they got put off until they became important and urgent. And now you can't delegate them to somebody or you can't delegate them to a virtual assistant because they have to be done right now. And if there's an insight to be gleaned from you know, talking to clients about using virtual assistants or friends about using virtual assistants, it is take a look at how you're functioning right now. Because if you're spending most of your time on the important and the urgent, you're not ready for, for an assistant. Or maybe you are. Maybe, that, maybe bringing the assistant. I can certainly tell you that I was spending a lot of time on important and urgent things on a hired carry. And maybe that pain of always feeling like it was important and urgent um, is what drove me to finally pull the trigger and spend the money and get somebody in there. Um, but over time and very quickly... Um, because the system, and, and that, I guess this is the other great thing about virtual assistants, is by their very nature, they force you to address the always important, always urgent problem that you have and work things back so that you're handling them early enough that they are not urgent, but they're still, you know, they're important. The things that are not important, you should just shouldn't be working on, right? I mean, th- those are things that if they're not important, then they're just not important. And if they don't get done, it's not going to be a big deal. So by by nature, a lot of the stuff that we work on every day in businesses is important. It's just the question of, is it urgent or not urgent? If it's not urgent, then it's definitely something you could hand over to a VA, a virtual assistant. If it is urgent, then ask yourself, was there a time when this could have been addressed and it wasn't urgent? And so how do we get that over to the assistant at that time, at that earlier time, so that it can go on a list and it can be delegated and I don't have to worry about the problem of not having someone to poke my head in their office and force them to do something. And, you know, the thing about virtual assistants is it forces you to address this problem. Um, The fact is you typically have many, many, many more um, physical employees than you do virtual employees. And the same things apply to them. The problem is you can get away with it with physical employees of always having them focus on the urgent stuff. You can't get away with it with virtual employees, so it makes you address the problem. Uh, so, you know, do yourself a favor if you find this, you know, if this sounds a lot like you, sticking your head in the office and wreaking havoc on your employee's day, um, ask yourself, when can I back back up the clock and determine that this thing that I just asked them to do, it was important, but it wasn't urgent? And could I have given it to them then? Because it's either your procrastination or your faulty system or your disorganization that is not getting that task delegated to them early enough that they can prioritize it and get it back to you and not have it totally screw up their productivity as well. Moving forward this year, um, we're going to get back into the weekly podcast routine. We've got quite a bit of topics lined up, but one of the other things that we may be doing is bringing in uh, co-hosts throughout the year. So if you or if you have an itch to do it and want to put your name in the hat to come on and co-host 
uh, once a week, uh, every so often. Uh, or if you know somebody who might be interested in that, you know, let me know. Uh, I think it's a lot of fun when we get the back and forth going. I have had the opportunity to do some joint podcasting in the interim with some folks that I like and, and enjoy hanging out with. And that was a lot of fun. So uh, I think the other thing that comes out of that is the accountability of having set recording times. And, and that's, you know, that's just going to help keep me on the wagon uh, as well. So the year is not going to get any less busy, especially with a baby showing up pretty soon. <laughs> so, um, so we're, we are going to get back on the, the routine of weekly podcast updates and hopefully weekly blog posts as well as something else that we have to get better at this year. Uh, so the other thing, one of the other things that I wanted to talk about is, you know, some of the personal systems that I'm using and some of the things that have changed over the last year that have really helped me and things that I'm looking forward to paying future dividends this year. And, you know, one of the things that, uh, that I think a lot of people struggle with is whether you want to call it institutional memory or, or, or just your working memory. I think Henry Cloud talks about this working memory concept in some of his books. But in the work that I do with clients, you know, I'm a big note taker. Um, and a lot of the stuff that I do with clients is, you know, face-to-face, either live in person or over the computer where we're, we're having, um, you know, real-time dialogue, real-time conversation, not asynchronous email or texting or IM. We do a lot of that too. But a, a lot of the stuff that we work through in coaching and strategic planning, it's got to be real-time. And so I take a lot of notes during those things. And everybody out there is, you know, same way. Like you're in meetings or you're meeting with clients or you're meeting with employees or you're meeting with managers – and I encourage folks to take notes for a couple of reasons. Number one, it helps communicate that you are paying attention to the person that is sitting across the table from you. Um, anytime I go into a situation and we start talking about things that are substantive, especially if we start getting into numbers, and especially if we get into next action steps, and the person is not taking notes, it almost makes me want to just stop the meeting and say, hey, um, explain to me why you're not taking notes because I don't have a high level of confidence that you're going to walk out of this meeting and a week later remember what we talked about or what you're supposed to do. And our success here is predicated on us both leaving this room and actually doing something. Otherwise, we're just getting here to talk and we should not be having this meeting because I got, I got other things to do and you have other things to do. So... If we're here and we're actually trying to accomplish something and you're not taking notes and you're going to forget what we've talked about, or you're going to forget the next action steps, or you're going to forget the information that you need to go do the next action step, then we're just wasting our time. And every once in a while, it doesn't happen very often that somebody isn't taking notes that way, but when they aren't, every once in a while, I'll screw up the courage to actually have that conversation and, and be diplomatic, but just say, hey, you know... I'm having to write a lot of this stuff down because I know I'm going to walk out of this room and forget it in a day or a week or after the next three meetings. And you seem to, you know, you're not taking any notes. You know, are you, are you going to remember all this stuff? And 
I don't think I've ever had somebody come back and say, yeah, I've got a photographic memory or, yeah, don't worry about me. I've got it all. Usually they turn around and grab a piece of paper, you know, out of a printer or a legal pad off of a, a credenza or something and actually do start taking notes. So I'm a big fan of taking notes because I, I think they communicate something to your audience. And then I also think that they really have substantive value. You're, you're going to remember more if you, if you're, writing stuff down. And if you don't remember it, you have a place to go back to. So needless to say, I fill up pages and pages and pages uh, of notes every week in the different meetings that I sit in. And when I, um, when I started doing this, I was using, I mean, I've been through just about every system and that's what I want to talk about is the system for taking and capturing uh, the notes that I use uh, because it's only been in the past year that I really feel like I have a system that finally works for me and I've tried so many different things. So I'll run you through the things that I have tried. So if you want to roll the clock way back, um, I remember it was probably 1999 um, and I was working with a group of tech guys. They had a software startup company. And actually, it was software and hardware. And I was kind of the financial brains of the operation, if you will. These guys were all engineers, and I was responsible for putting the budgets and the forecasts together and taking the the uh, package out to investors and answering questions of angel investors and that kind of stuff. And one, we had a meeting uh, at the... the um, Founders Lake House, and I remember we're we're all sitting out here at, at this meeting. Uh, actually, it was in the office before that meeting. So we had a meeting at the office, and then we all went to the Lake House for dinner. And during the meeting at the office, we're sitting in the conference room, and one of the guys there, and, and like I said, these guys were all like software or hardware engineers, and uh, this guy had th- this little device that he was like taking notes on, and I thought, well, that's cool. And it, it turned out it was a um, it was like a Palm Pilot. It might have been uh, the Sony product. I don't remember what the name of it was. But uh, but he had this little keyboard that it would dock into. And so I thought, oh, i got to have one of those. So I think I already had a Palm Pilot, and I went out and I found a keyboard. Um, and so I would use this thing to take notes. And it was great because I would show up at the clients and or at whatever meeting I was going to, and I'd pop open this, this keyboard, and I would... S- pop my little Palm Pilot into it, go into the notes application, and start taking notes. Uh, And it worked really well. The only problem was it was really hard to get those notes out of the Palm Pilot. So if I was going into the next client appointment, I I didn't have a good way to to take a look at those notes other than viewing them on the Palm Pilot screen, which was this, you know, this is before many of your times, but... Uh, for those of you who who were using the devices back then, you know, I mean, they were the they're not even the size of an iPhone screen now. I mean, they were even smaller than that. And I'm not talking about the iPhone six. I'm talking about I've got still got the five S, and I'm looking at it right now. And I think the Palm Pilot screen was maybe two thirds the size of this. So, you know, if you if you had been sitting in a meeting for two or three hours with a client or with a a business and you're trying to review your notes. I mean, you're scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling before you get to the part that might be relevant for that meeting. 
and there was no really good way to get them out of the system. But it was better than anything else I'd had before. So I, I carried this Palm Pilot around, and you know I would upgrade as as new versions were released. I would get the next version and migrate all my stuff over. And I used that for probably two or three, maybe four years. And and then I tried to go into a smartphone that was way before the iPhone. Um, and I didn't have my Palm. I think I had a, Palm, a Trio um, smartphone. It was like a flip phone type thing where the speaker flipped up and I ripped the speaker off because I didn't like the way it worked. I mean, it was all, all kinds of mess. But I, I got away from putting everything in the phone and... And then I, I had, a, I think, the next thing that I was doing was just putting notes into a laptop. And so I had all kinds of ways that I tried with the laptop. I had, um, I used my maps. I used just text documents. I used Word. I used outlining programs. Um, and then sometime around probably 2004 or five, a friend of mine introduced me to Evernote. And so I started using that for a little bit. But I had all these different systems. And whatever system I was using was incumbent on me um, getting the information out of that system and into some kind of folder hierarchy uh, on our server that we could use, you know, so that when I was having a meeting with the client or somebody else was having a meeting with the client, we could go back to that um, folder structure and find the client notes. And so... You know, I would take notes in, in say, a uh, mind mapping program, and, and I would chart everything that had been talked about in that meeting, and I would export that to a PDF file and use a certain naming convention and then file that file under the client's name and the, the year that it dealt with, and then um, if there's a particular matter under that year, we had subfolders. Usually it would just go under the year. And so then I, the next appointment, I'd go looking for all the PDF files that happen to be notes. And, you know, like the ones for the last three or four or five or six months might be mind maps. And then before that, it was text files. And then before that, it was Word documents. And then before that, it was, uh, you know, text documents again. Um, and then we got into... Um, paperless stuff. So, you know, we invested in all the paperless stuff like scanners and things. And so then this would have been like right around that uh, 2004 or 5. Like the firms that I had worked in before that, they had scanners, but it was like a really antiquated workflow process. Like you would submit stuff for scanning and like wait for somebody to scan it and then they would get it back to you. And I was like, that's, you know, that just wasn't, that wasn't my workflow. Like I wasn't going to wait. I wasn't going to come back from a client meeting and submit two pieces of paper uh, for scanning when I had to fill out this form to go on top of it. Uh, you know, I had to fill out the form in longhand to submit the documents for scanning, and then they would, you know, come back to my email, and then I'd have to file them away later. I'm just, you know, I was like, I wasn't going to worry about that. So you know, I didn't, scanning wasn't something I wanted to do because I didn't want to wait for the turnaround. So that's why I put them in a mind map or a Word doc or a text doc or an Evernote doc or something like that. Well, when we invested in our own, when I opened my firm and we got to, you know, I got to buy my own equipment. I so, so I bought desktop type scanners that everybody could use. And so then, uh, what was cool is we would, if we had handouts for the meeting, 
you know, I could write my notes in the margin of the handouts, and then I could also have a legal pad next to me where I was taking notes. And at the end of the meeting, we'd run all that stuff through the scanner, and it would generate a PDF, and that would go into the client's file. And then, and that, so that worked well, but it wasn't all, you know, sometimes I was, I was doing that. Sometimes I was typing notes into the computer. Um, and then, you know, sometimes things were getting scanned in and sometimes they weren't, which is a real big problem. And then when we started doing a lot of the, like the actual planning stuff, we had the, the, the first office that I had was in this like mid-rise office tower. And, it, and in my office, I had windows all down two walls of the office. It was kind of in a, in a weird corner. Um, it wasn't a right angle corner. The building was a weird shape, but we had this kind of acute angle corner. Um, but I had about maybe 10 or 12 feet of windows on one side and maybe 15 feet of windows on the other side. And I just bought a bunch of dry erase markers and we would use the windows as a whiteboard and clients got a big kick out of that. And then I bought a little digital camera and at the end of the meeting, we would take pictures of all the windows and I would have to take the card out of the camera and stick it in the computer and download the pictures and then save those to the file. And sometimes we would convert them to PDFs. Um, sometimes uh, we we um, we just put them in there as JPEGs. Sometimes we'd email them to clients. And you know what was really funny is like if we were if it was in the winter time and we're down here in Southwest Florida, uh, you know in the winter time it would start getting dark at like five thirty, and if we're wrapping up the meeting at like five fifteen, it was a race to get the pictures off the windows before it got dark outside because once it got dark you couldn't see what was written on the windows. So I mean, we had we had all these crazy systems for getting stuff, uh, for keeping track of notes and what was actually happening in meetings. And in this past year, um, I decided, you know, this, I've decided this before. I think this is just the first time we've had a system that's worked as well as it has. But I started to notice a couple things. Like I would talk to people who are really into like text files and stuff. And and the beauty of text files is like you could go back and search through them and find things quickly. And it was, you know, like a very simple, very quick method to get stuff in. So I had tried text files in the past, but even when I did text files and, and I, I would have like I even experimented with a dictation service one time where I would jot down, you know, bullet point notes. And then I'd get in the car after the appointment and I would call this phone number and I could start dictating and so I would dictate my notes, kind of expanding the bullet points. And then an hour later or so, I would get an email with this dictated text. And then we had to save that into the client file. And that worked okay. But what I found is when I went back, so one of the big things that I needed to do is before the next appointment, review what had happened in the last appointment and what I needed to be holding the client accountable to. So it was like, well, you said we we're going to try this, this, and this. I need to know how it worked out and whether you did it or not. And so I would go back to these notes and I would try, I would read these either text files that I had typed up or things that had been dictated that somebody else had typed up. And I would have a really hard time wrapping my head or like remembering what it was about that meeting. And, you know, like, like the thing that I had dictated, um, I, you know, I was like, I can't exactly remember what we meant by that. So it'd be like, um, trying to think of an example, you know, off the top of my head, but it's be like, like change the manager's compensation program uh, to be more in line with direct sales. 
And I'd be like, three months later, I'm like, what did we mean by direct sales? Are we talking about retail sales? Are we talking about wholesale sales? Are we talking about just sales they make this year? You know, and it was like, it didn't make sense to me. It just in a text file. And then what I figured out over time is that if I, so in in cases where um, I couldn't understand what was going on, I go back to wherever I had taken those bullet pointed notes and hopefully I had kept them. And usually it was in a little moleskin notebook. So I use these uh, little moleskin pocket notebooks and I've got the first one I could find because I put the dates on them on the spine of them as I would finish using them up. And the first one I could find is uh, that starts on December 24th, 2005. And so I would go to these little moleskin notebooks and I would look for the date of that meeting and I would find the page and I'd go through and usually there would be like, there would be the bullet point and then there might be like a little diagram. And so the diagram, you know, it would say direct sales and there'd be a big circle around direct sales and then there'd be a little diagram of a retail store and a diagram of a wholesaler, and we put exclamation points next to the wholesaler. And I'm like, oh, that's what we meant by direct sales. We were talking about the wholesalers there. Um, but I, when I was transcribing that stuff, I never thought to say, oh, and direct sales only refers to the wholesalers. We're not so concerned about the retail side of the operation. But in my notes, in my handwritten notes, it was very apparent. And the other thing that I found is all I had to do – was look at the handwritten notes page that I had taken and instantly kind of the context of what was being talked about, even sometimes the physical location where the meeting took place, if it was at a restaurant or if it was in the client's office or if it was in my office or if it was on the phone, I would remember all of that stuff. And there was something about my handwriting and the diagrams and the way that I was taking the notes made that context so much more uh, accessible to me. So this past year, um, I said, we're going to do something different. We're going to, ch- and this all had to come out of um, bringing in Carrie to help with the virtual assistant stuff. Because early on, one of the things I remember saying to Carrie and to the EA help uh, person who was helping onboard me and basically get, a, she was, she was asking me very detailed questions about my workflow and the things that I did so that she could go out into the market and find the right person for me. And one of the things that was really important to me is that I needed somebody to hold my feet to the fire to get these client notes into the system. And so when early on, one of the things I told Carrie, I said, one of your number one roles is to make sure that at the end of every week, I have notes for every single appointment that I had during that week in the system. Because if I miss notes, I forget what we did or forget what we're supposed to do or forget what the client was supposed to do, and it makes me look like an idiot, and that's the last thing I want. So these notes are very, very important. So uh, so what we did is we had to have the notes in a place that she and I could both get to them. And so we use uh, Dropbox for a lot of our files. And so we thought, well, I could use Dropbox, but then I thought, well, you know, the couple of things that I didn't like about Dropbox was um, it was just a flat file, and then I had to figure out a way to get the file in there. And I had to decide ahead of time what the best file format was going to be because I wanted it to be consistent. So I didn't want to have this problem of, well, sometimes the notes are a PDF file 
uh, that was a handout we had at the meeting with margins in the side. Sometimes it's uh, text. Sometimes it's, um, you know, a picture of a whiteboard. And I wasn't comfortable, you know, having Carrie have to figure out what format she was looking for in notes. That just seemed very efficient to me. So she'd seen an appointment, and she didn't know whether she was supposed to be looking for a JPEG of the whiteboard or a PDF of the whiteboard or a PDF of the handouts with margin notes or a text file with my notes in it um, or a PDF of my handwritten notes in it or all of the above. And And that was the reality is that sometimes – one piece might be there, but the other piece might not be. Like the the whiteboard might be there, but I didn't put my notes in there. And so I didn't want her going in the file and looking and going, oh, well, there's whiteboard picture there, so the notes are there, so I can check that off, and I don't need to ask him about that. So what we settled on was Evernote. And I had, you know, like I said, I've been a long-time Evernote user. I've been a paid user since the first day I joined. Um, it was one of those things I felt like, well, this is good enough. Spending the 5 bucks a month or whatever it is to make sure that they stick around um, and my stuff has continued to be accessible. I'd, I'd love to support that. So I've always been a paid subscriber, even though I don't think I've always needed it to get under the data caps. Um, but so we said we're going to use Evernote. And there are a few things that I immediately liked about Evernote is that Evernote will automatically tag the creation date. And, so, and even if you go in and put stuff in after the fact, you can change that creation date. Evernote will also um, tag any date that something's modified. Um, you can also do geotagging. It can also accept uh, you. So a text, uh, a note in Evernote, you can just get in there and start typing, in which case it's kind of like a text file. Um, you can add formatting, so it's a little bit better than a text file and that you can do numbers and bullet points. You can even put to-do checkboxes in there and search by those. Um, but you can also stick PDF files in there. You can stick images in there. The other th cool thing about Evernote is that it's got a mobile app. So I could get these notes in um, immediately from the client's location, or I could have my laptop open. So there's just a lot of stuff about Evernote that was like, okay, so that's the platform that we're going to use. So, Carrie, if you're looking for the notes from last week, all you have to do is look for an Evernote note. And if there were um, – if there were – Whiteboard images, they'll be in that note. If there were text file comments, they'll be in that note. If they're PDFs, they'll be in that note. They're all going to be in one Evernote note. And we're going to use a standard naming convention for the Evernote note that's going to have the date at the front and then a description of what the meeting was so that we can sort them by name and it'll, you can easily find which day you're looking for. And And so then it freed me up to do a lot of things. I could take pictures, I could add PDFs, I could do all of this stuff and still have it come into one client note, uh, which was really cool. And then the other thing it allowed me to do was get back to this idea of a day book. So I had, you know, I've been using these Moleskin notebooks, like I said, I've got them going back all the way to 2005. So we're, you know, we're in our, I'm in my ninth year of using these things. I got tons of them. I've got, you know, a shelf that probably has... Uh, if I look at it right now, maybe a dozen of them. And, you know, the difference, I've got small ones, I've got big ones, you know, kind of my, my taste changed as things went along. Um, and so I started, what I started doing was just saying, every single day, no matter what I do, it's going to go in the notebook. If it's a scratch pad of things that I'm working on for the day, um, 
it's gonna I'm gonna write that in the notebook instead of a scrap piece of paper. If it's meeting notes with a client, it's gonna that's gonna go in the notebook. If it's um, pre- preparing for a podcast, that's gonna go in the notebook. If it's a journal entry, that's gonna go in the notebook. So I have one notebook that everything goes into, and um, so I used a moleskin for that. And the problem was because absolutely everything that I was doing was going into this notebook. Um, it, the, I was filling these things up incredibly fast and I was starting to think, well, do I want to put this, is this important enough to go in there because it's going to take up a page and the more ta- pages I take up today, you know, the faster I'm going to have to change out the notebook. And so I thought, well, I don't want that friction. I don't want that mental friction of I'm hesitating to put stuff in the notebook because, um, because I don't want to have to go out and get another notebook. You know, I want, I want to, I want to take notes. That's the whole, whole reason this thing is there. So that I get everything down and I can go back to it later if I need to. So my solution was get a bigger notebook. So instead of the moleskin notebooks, I went out to an office supply store, it was an office depot or Staples or something. And I got this wire bound notebook and it was basically eight and a half by 11 sheets and it was wire bound. So you could flip it open. It would lay flat. And, um, and I used that for, and that lasted about three months. So instead of having to change it out every month, um, I got about three months out of that because there were bigger pages and there were more pages. Um, and so I, I was like, well, that's better, but um, that's still not long enough. Like th- three months, well, maybe it is long enough. I don't know. But uh, one of the things I didn't like was how big this thing was. Um, and it just wasn't very attractive, you know. I, I like the I like to enjoy the tools that I use, and this I mean this thing looked like an Office Depot notebook, and so I thought, well, maybe I'll go back to the moleskin stuff. But I was looking for a bigger moleskin journal, like one that had more pages in it, so I wouldn't have to change it out so often. And I didn't like the way those looked either. And then I came across this. Um, I, it was a podcast I was listening to, I think, and they referenced this this notebook, and it's the Seven Seas Writer A5 Journal. And I put, I'll put a note in the sh- uh, link in the show notes. I got it from uh, Nanami Paper Supply, uh, so it's the Nanami Seven Seas Journal. And this thing, uh, it's basically, um, I don't know how many pages it has. I'm up to page 163. And I'm not quite halfway through it. So I'd say it's got about 400 pages in it, 200 sheets front and back, so 400 pages. And the paper is super thin. It's like the kind of paper you would see in like um, like maybe a Bible or something. Like you can almost see through it uh, if you hold it up to the light. But when it lays fat, flat, um, you know, you can definitely write on both sides and it's not a problem. But the thing that makes this notebook really, really work, it not only is the paper great, but the binding, it's got a thread binding on it. So it lays flat just like a Bible does. And you can actually bend it back on itself. Um, so like fold it in half backwards and it doesn't tear the binding like it would in a moleskin notebook. And so um, like I have it sitting on my desk right now. It's, it's about, like I said, about a third of the way into it. But I can even go to the very first page of the notebook so that there's only like one page on the left and everything else is on the right and it lays completely flat. And that's because of this thread binding. And then I, I spent quite a bit of money. So the notebook itself, I don't know, was maybe 20 or $30. So it wasn't cheap. Um, 
No, I mean, it wasn't that much. I don't remember. I'll, I'll find out and put the link in the show notes. But then I bought this cover for it. So the notebook itself just has kind of a thin cardboard cover on it. And I bought a leather cover uh, that this cardboard cover slips into. And it just looks fantastic. I mean, it's something that I really enjoy carrying around. Like I said, I like to enjoy my tools. I'm a huge fountain pen fan. And writing on this paper with a fountain pen is absolutely perfect. I mean, it just feels great. It makes you want to write in it, which is what I was looking for. And um, and the pages hold up great with fountain pen ink. So my routine is everything goes in the notebook. And at the end of a week, I usually do it once a week, and today's my day. It's a Friday. Um, I'll go through, and with my phone, I use a, an app on my phone that turns pictures into PDFs. And so I'll take a picture of each page or group of pages that have to do with the meeting, and I'll save that to a PDF. It automatically, from that app, it goes into Dropbox, and then I use uh, some scripts in a program called Hazel on the Mac that scans this Dropbox folder for anything with a certain naming pattern, and it will automatically create new Evernote notes with that PDF attached to the Evernote note. So, uh, So I have this system now where everything goes in the notebook. I take pictures of the notebook... Um, those get turned into PDFs, those PDFs get loaded into Evernote, and then I go through and tag those with the name of the client, and I go in and I've got some scripts that will also look at the way that the file is named. So we start every file name with year, year, month, month, day, day. So um, so a file that was generated on the 30th of January uh, 2015, the name would start with 150130-dash, and then it would have whatever the event was. So it will, we have some scripts in Evernote that will look at that uh, name and automatically change the creation date to, to be 1-30-15, even if the, note, if the picture was taken on February 1st or February 2nd. It'll go back and change the name of the note. So we've automated a lot of that stuff is my point. And we finally have a system where all the notes go in. And so now, before a client appointment, I'll go in pull up the tag in Evernote for that particular client, I'll see a list of all of the things that have to do with that client, meeting notes, uh, web research. um, That's usually the only two things that are usually in there. Um, But I'll go through and look at the meeting notes. I'll pull up the last one, and right there is my handwriting. And if I want to, after that meeting, uh, I can go in and maybe succinctly summarize above the PDF file or above the page image in typewritten text you know, here are the main things that we talked about. Or sometimes I'll put specific search terms in there. Like I might just type above that name compensation. So if I do a search for, uh, for the tag ABC Supply and compensation, those notes related to compensation show up. So if we talked about compensation in a meeting and I got two pages of handwritten notes on compensation, it's easy for me to find those. So that's the system that we've settled on this year. And I don't know that I meant to spend this much time on it, but... It really is a game changer in terms of my being able to build relationships and continuity with clients because I can remember what was talked about last time. I can keep track of things. I can go back to stuff that we talked about a year ago and and it, and it's talk about credibility. When you're sitting in front of somebody that you had a meeting with a year ago and you're saying something about this conversation sounds familiar. Let me do a quick search and you pull up those notes from a year ago and you go, "Yeah, on on January 3rd of 2014, we talked about this subject, and we actually made this decision, but it doesn't sound like we've really done anything with it since then. So let's talk about that. 
And being able to go back and pull that stuff out and not reinvent the wheel or not have to remember uh, what happened just gives you a lot of confidence moving forward and it gives you a lot of credibility when you're dealing with other people. Um, but in my business, it's absolutely critical that we remember what we talked about and remember what the client committed to. So that's what we use uh, for notes, and that's what we're going to continue to use. And, and the reason I probably did spend so much time talking about it is because it's the best system we've ever had, and it's, it's one that we're actually looking forward to using in the future instead of going, hey, how can we improve this information capture process um, going forward? So things that we're going to be talking about Real soon. I'm going to give you a preview, which I don't normally do. Um, but we've been thinking about the things that we're going to talk about on the podcast in the next couple of weeks. Uh, actually, probably the next month or so of topics. And one of the things that's come up several times in conversations with clients lately is the separating of the owner and the operator roles. So we're going to spend some time talking about that and how you really need to separate your your ownership position in the company from your employee position in the company and what the benefits are to actually seeing yourself in those two different roles because it can be a game changer when you're trying to grow a business. If you're not trying to grow the business, it probably doesn't matter. But if your plans for your business include growth in the 25, 30, 40, 50% range, you're going to have to come to grips with this idea of a separation between your role as an owner and your role as an operator. So we're going to spend some time talking about that in the next podcast. The other thing we're going to talk about in the coming weeks is vertical integration in small businesses. And this is something that gets talked about a lot in the management textbooks in college and the strategy textbooks in college, but it's not something that small businesses usually pay attention to. They think that they're too small to vertically integrate. But we've seen some great examples of clients doing this over the last year or two years, and I want to use those as a case study and cover those in the podcast. And it's pretty exciting how you can grow the business by moving out of your comfort zone and offering services that you used to buy, going ahead and making those services part of your core offering and going out and getting new customers. Um, So we'll talk about that. Another thing that we want to talk about is succession and, and why succession is important for entrepreneurs way more important for entrepreneurs than it is for people who are are just going to start one business and stick with it for life. Most of the, the clients that I work with, I, I would say they're probably 50-50 split of the ones who the current company that they're running is the company that they're going to eventually sell or, or hand over to employees or second generation and, and quote-unquote retire from. Uh, and the other half the companies that they're running now, it's just one company and, and maybe a long string of companies that they're going to eventually run. So uh, we're going to talk about why succession is important in both those situations, but more about the second situation and how entrepreneurs who want to run a next company really have to be on this accelerated succession path and what that looks like. We're going to talk about um, the role of people process product in strategy. One of my favorite television shows is The Profit, and one of his mantras is people process product. And it's something that we talk to clients about constantly, but where does it fit in strategic planning? And and we may use a couple of case studies from that show to talk about strategic planning and what is and isn't strategic planning in the show, because sometimes there's a tendency to, to think that 
um, you know, oh, the consultant has this magic wand and, and like this guy in the show, they're just going to come in, Marcus Leminus, and they're going to they're gonna wave the magic wand and start writing checks and fix everything. And that's not exactly the role of people process product analysis. So we're going to talk about that. And then the last one that we have on tap for February is why coaching is your secret weapon. Uh, we just did a proposal for a client that includes a coaching component as one of the tiers. And it allowed us to talk about this idea of accelerating the growth of a company through coaching. And it's a very basic premise, but it's one that doesn't get talked about very often in the role of strategic planning. So we're going to spend some time talking about that. The, uh, the next year should be a lot of fun. We're excited about the direction Axiom's going. We're excited about the direction our clients are going. Uh, it's been a phenomenal year. I want to thank all of our clients for 2014. They really made uh, kind of the icing on the cake, not in terms of our growth, but in terms of what we were able to look back and see what we have been a part of. Uh, so it's been a lot of fun to experience that with you. We thank you for listening. Uh, thank you for your support. And um, thank you for your friendship, because what I'm doing today is a lot more fun than anything I've ever done in my life. It's kind of the pinnacle of my professional career right now. I couldn't be happier with the direction things are going. And uh, I look forward to sharing that with you this year on the podcast. Coming next week, and we'll see you back here.